Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. On Tuesday, Dean Cerny spoke about the history of the Hitchcock Lectures and gave the formal highlights of Yegor Gaidar's distinguished career. Today, I would like to speak a little more personally about Dr. Gaidar. He studied economics at the Moscow State University from 1973 to 1978 and was awarded the PhD at the age of 24 in 1980. Thus, he began his studies at the height of the Brezhnev era. He and a small group of students, working largely alone, studied Western economic thought. It would have been much easier to conform to the prevailing orthodoxy. These students had no support from the faculty. They had to explain why they wished access to Western economic texts, knowing that these requests would be monitored. Their job prospects must have appeared very bleak. Indeed, their personal freedom was far from assured. It is easy, sitting in Berkeley in 1996, to overlook the determination and courage that Dr. Gaidar and his fellow students demonstrated at that time. But we must recall that during the McCarthy era, many left-leaning faculty were hounded out of American universities, including Berkeley. So if we recall the danger of pursuing unorthodox studies in America in the 50s, we can appreciate the courage of those who did so in the Soviet Union in the 70s. Over the last four days, a large number of people on campus have had the opportunity to listen to formal presentations by Yegor Gaidar and to engage in private discussion. I have been struck by the number of people who have commented to me on Dr. Gaidar's candor, his willingness to give open answers to any question, and on his sense of humor. I hope we will see more of these qualities this afternoon as he discusses five years of the democratic experiment in Russia. Yegor Timurovich Pajalista. Friends, on the previous lecture, I tried uh, to explain my views on the developments in Russia 91-93, developments which, from my point of view, could be compared with the Russian Revolution of the 1917, with all of the different directions and the different stages of development. I think that uh, in autumn 93, the revolutionary stage of the Russian post-socialist transition were mostly finished. Power was consolidated, dual power eliminated. the result of the dual power is usually, it is especially, it's usually it is in Russia, was very serious straightening of the executive power, probably with the appearance of the autocratic tendencies here. Uh, the markets were more or less established. Convertible currency existed. Crisis of the food supply all over us, all finished. But uh, that doesn't mean that uh, we were not facing a very, very serious problems anymore. And uh, from my view, view of many of my colleagues, the crucial problem that we were confronted in August 93 was the problem of whether we were able to consolidate democracy, democratical mechanisms in Russia, and whatever we will be able to prevent second 
communist experiment in our country. It was evident that two years of revolution were terribly difficult for the society, as every revolution is. It was a time of radical changes, and radical changes are always painful. Some people are getting something, some people are losing something. Those who are getting usually do not are not inclined to thank the government for it. Those who are losing, of course, do understand that it's because of the government. Uh, some problems were resolved, and many of them quite pressing only two years before, like, for instance, terrible shortages of food, etc. But when the problems are resolved, then they are not anymore in the center of the public conscience, of the public discussions. But another problems appeared, and they, that problem started to be in the center. The problems of the new poor, the problems of the uh, deterioration of the social status of the many structures of the population, including those in judge in the intellectual professions, etc. So it was evident that we are confronted with the very, very difficult tasks of consolidating the support to the democracy, democratic reform, and market economy in our country. We have seen by the experience of our friends in Eastern Europe that all of the pain of the transition, even in the situation which were in situations which were much easier than Russia, the Russian situation, usually creates the precondition for the communist post-communist party's victories on the second crucial elections after the start of the reforms. We have seen it in Poland, we have seen it in Hungary, we have seen it in Lithuania, we have seen it in many, many places. Also, we were very much aware that our Communist Party is not the nice, not dangerous guys of Eastern Europe. They are real and serious communists, and their victory, the democratic victory in the democratic elections, could mean a serious blow to the possibilities of market and democratical development in our country. So our task was to somehow elaborate the strategy of economic and political reforms, which will minimize the risk of the communist victory, which will strengthen the support to the democratic market institutions, which will create for us the possibility to prevent the second communist experiment in Russian history. Well, really, that was uh, the time of a very, very intensive debates in the uh, Russian government, January around President Yeltsin, of what should we do in this situation when now we have consolidated power, when the possibility to move forward are much bigger than they were only a few months before. It was my position, position of many of my uh, colleagues and supporters, that now it is exactly the time to start a very, very rapid and radical and serious reforms in many fields of our social life. It's exactly the time to cut down drastically the inflation rate. It's exactly the time to start a serious military reform, cutting down the numbers of uh, those uh, injured in the military, increasing the social standards of those who are in the army. It is the time to start serious land reform, granting to the peasants possibility to own and the land on which 
they are working. It is the time for a so serious social reform, making our system of social protection more targeted, etc. So, of course, it was evident that all of these reforms would not be easy. These reforms would be painful in some directions, but we will start them immediately. We will start them in the autumn 93, winter, spring 94. We will end year 94 with the low inflation, with the financial stability in the country, low interest rate, with the most painful reforms already implemented. We will have the preconditions for the economic growth in the 95. So we will enter the election year of the year 96 with growing economy, low inflation, financial stability, working market. So we will be in a position to show to the people the practical results of the reforms. It was our position. And the position of our opponents was that, well, it was a difficult years. Maybe we pushed forward too rapidly, too energetically. It is the time to slow down, not to be in a hurry, to move gradually, maybe to wait and see a little bit, so not to add additional uh, burdens of the reforms of the population, which is already suffering from the adaptation to the new realities. So try to calm down and try to do nothing. It was really a very intensive debate and a very intensive discussion, uh, during which we were preparing to the parliamentary elections of the year of December 93. Well, to tell you the truth, economically, it was uh, quite evident for us how to win these elections. Uh, already, we were very well aware about the time lags between money supply and the uh, price dynamics in Russia. These time lags at that time in the autumn 93 were approximately five months. So for instance, if after October events in October, November, early December, we would rapid, start rapidly printing money, we would finance all of the arrears on the wages, pensions, etc. We would pay to everybody everything. We would show to the population how nice it is when we are not confronted with the constraints of the anti-reform Supreme Soviet. Of course, it was evident that it was rather easy to win parliamentary elections. And only then, only in January, February, March, when we would be well represented in the parliament, would be he would be confronted with the terrible consequences of this irresponsible policy. To tell you the truth, from the beginning we rejected the idea that this approach is possible. And even now when I'm considering the consequences of this decision, I think it was right. We just could not allow this type of adventure. So even before the elections, we were uh, trying to implement a few rather conflicting measures. Just before the elections, we eliminated privileged credits to the agriculture, bread subsidies, subsidies to the imported food, started to increase the prices of the house. So we were doing what was necessary to do on the uh, reasons of the economic logic and financial common sense. Well, the results of the elections of December 93 were mixed. We got better parliament than the previous Supreme Soviet. We, Russian Democratic Choice, got the biggest fraction in the Russian parliament. Uh, 
But still, the parliament was very much divided, and uh, the results were much lower than the expectations. So generally, in the society, the results of December elections were regarded as a defeat of the democracy, Democrats, and the radical reformers. Of course, it influenced the final solution of Yeltsin. Well aware of the es about the essence of our debates, after the elections uh, of December 93, he decided that probably society really wants to calm down, not to hurry up with the reforms, to, uh, not to judge in a serious conflicting experiments and a different side of the social and economic policy. So when it was evident that we could not get a presidential support for the reforms we would like to implement, it was a time for us to decide whether uh, we should stay in the government or we shouldn't. It was my decision that we should not. Because, of course, uh, we could stay in the government and uh, uh, be shown as a, a symbol that the reforms in Russia are still continuous, etc., etc. But uh, uh, we would not be practically in a position to implement the policies we would like to. So then, why to be present there? So that was the moment when I decided that I have to resign from the government, and uh, uh, I think even now that it was the right decision. Well, after uh, my resignation and the resignation of my colleague, Minister of Finance, Boris Fedorov, uh, this attitude of wait and see uh, definitely prevailed in the government. Uh, in the rhetorics of the government of, the, of that time, you can hear about non-monetary ways of fighting inflation, about uh, necessity to uh, finish with this economic romantics, etc., etc. Well, uh, the results of these changes in the policy were very rapidly to be demonstrated. But also here, the phenomena very well known to the economists, the time lags, played a very, very interesting joke with the Russian politics and uh, with the uh, public perception of what happens in the economy. If the time lag is from five to six months, you would understand that the results of our tightening of the monetary policy of autumn, winter 93, first of all, would be well, very well felt from winter to the spring and to the summer. So inflation, which was 26% in August 96, was going down and was 13% per month in uh, December 93, and was going down to something uh, lower than 5% at the early summer 94. And that was exactly in the, the time when the government decided that it should not be very strict with the finances, that it could allow a lot of compromises, that it could allow to increase the money supply, that it could allow additional cheap credits to agriculture, etc. So uh, the spring of 94 was a very, very specific combination. Government started to print money with a higher and a higher speed, and the inflation was going rapidly down. 
so the government officials, uh, the leadership of the government, got the splendid notion that they found at last the uh, miracle ways of dealing with economic policy. You're printing more money and the prices are going down. You're printing even more money and the prices are further going down. Splendid. The problem with this policy is only one that it could not last for long. And uh, in uh, summer 94, it was evident that the results of this easy monetary policy of early 94 are starting to be demonstrated. First of all, it's usually in the unstable markets in a radical change on the dynamics of the demand for hard currency. Well, from July, markets understood that the exchange rate is incompatible with rapidly increasing money supply. When in August, uh, government added additional, uh, added additional 10 trillions of rubles of the cheap credits to agriculture, it was evident that the exchange rate inevitably would explode. So uh, central bank and the government made a few mistakes, the result of which was rapid deterioration of the hard currency reserves, and then an ability of the central bank to control the exchange rate anymore. It ended in so-called Black Tuesday in October 94, uh, depreciation of ruble in one single day by more than 30%, uh, rapid acceleration of the inflation, which once again at the end of the year 94 was approximately five times higher than in summer 94. So all of, our, of the results of our efforts of the autumn-winter 93-94 were liquidated. Inflation, once again, was very high. Hard currency reserves, which were accumulated during 92-93, disappeared. Uh, Poverty rate, which usually goes uh, in, our, in our economy with the inflation, was rapidly going up. It was evident that the result of this easy financial policy, of this fight with the economic romantism, were disastrous for the Russian economy. Which was especially bad news was that all of these financial adventures were combined with political adventures. Political adventures especially dangerous because they were tried in a very dangerous region, in the North Caucasus. Well, uh, I would not really like to start uh, all of the story of the Chechen conflict and uh, uh, the Russian pol policy of the Russian government to toward Chechenia, but in 94, spring and summer 94, it was evident that uh, Dudaev regime, regime of the Chechenian leader Dudaev, is in a very, very bad shape. That Dudaev is losing control over the situation in Chechenia itself. Economic conditions in Chechenia are terrible. Uh, the Dudaev is very much prepared in this situation to negotiate. So it was exactly the time to start calm negotiations, to create for the Chechenians the honorable way of dealing with the problem of the independence, to start calming down this conflict which was terribly, terribly dangerous. But in uh, the circles then around Yeltsin, another view prevailed at the moment. Well, 
In December 93, we have seen how popular are the ideas of the imperial rush. Dudaev is weak, so what we need now is a small, victorious war. We will use the force, we will show who is the master, and that will add to the popularity of the regime. With this, we will go to the next presidential elections. You see, uh, uh, I would really not go, like to go to the personal details, but this story of Chechenian conflict at the start of the Chechenian war show very well how, how terrible harm could be uh, imposed by one single energetic fool, if this single energetic fool has a position of, a, of power. And there was a very energetic fool around the president at the moment, uh, energetic fool in the rank of deputy prime minister, energetic fool who would understand nothing about North Caucasian history, who would not learn anything from the history of the Tsar Wars in the 19th century, who would not understand anything about Chechenians, etc. He would think that Chechenians are, of course, cowards. We just will show force, and then uh, they, they will complain. It was absolutely possible, even in December 94, to create the ground for a fruitful compromise. I know very well from what later Chechenians leaders were telling to me that uh, they had the instructions from Dudayev generally to agree on Tatarstan-type solution in December 94. But well, they would not like the, this type of the solution because it would be a compromise with Dudaev. It would not give, get, uh, give you any political dividends. They needed a more small victorious war. So they started it. Of course, uh, it was probably most terrible mistake that could be uh, uh, done by uh, political leadership in Russia. That was exactly the place when you could not get, uh, get the small victorious war. Only war you can get, uh, get here would be a long-term, terribly nasty, terribly bloody, and successful. The only way of winning this type of the war is if you are prepared to exterminate the population. If you are prepared to kill millions of Chechenians, of course you can win this war. If you are unprepared, and I hope that no Russian government would be prepared to do it, at least Yeltsin was not, then it will be a fight with, with which costs you a lot of blood and which will be absolutely fruitless. Anytime you uh, will bomb additional Chechenian village, you will add additional fighters for the Chechenian independence. So, two very unpleasant uh, developments together in at the end of 94. Terrible economic situation, disappearance of hard currency reserves, high inflation, terribly high interest rate on the state borrowing, start a Chechenian war, bombarded Grozny, fightings there, etc. It looked like as if the situation is hopeless for the Russian democracy. That was the moment when uh, we decided that we just could not support this type of the policy. We have to declare ourselves in opposition to Yeltsin's policy. Uh, of course, it was a difficult solution for us because uh, we shared a lot with Yeltsin and we were able, at least to quite substantial extent, to influence him. But when we were unable to pursue him that the Chechenian war would be a terrible adventure, well, we had no other choice. 
Government at December, January understood very well, including Prime Minister Chernomerdin, how terrible mistake had it done in 94. Well, from that moment, I think Chernomerdin is converted monetarist. Uh, it was enough to survive the Black Tuesday to understand that you can hear a lot of the advice, how nice it will be, but at the last moment, when everything will blow up, it will be you, as a Prime Minister, who will have to answer for all of this. So that's why he was prepared to change radically the uh, economic policy and once again to start tightening. But if you, you do understand that you have to pay a lot for the year which were lost. In uh, March, in uh, January 95, uh, it was not evident that this policy of the financial tightening generally sustainable. Uh, hard currency reserves uh, disappeared each day. It was a moment in the uh, 20th of January 1995 when hard currency reserves at the disposal of the government were comparable to this which we, we had at the beginning of 1992. Uh, so government practically had uh, two possibilities. First, to forget about financial stabilization once again, to continue printing money, then to eliminate the ruble convertibility, to implement once again the system of the distribution of hard currency. So practically that means that strongly undermine all of the market mechanisms, to start to be confronted with the explosion of prices, probably to confront this explosion of prices and attempt to reintroduce the price controls, so once again be back in the situation of 91. Or to finance Chechenian war, with the cuts in the budgetary expenditure on all of another fields, including healthcare, education, etc., and to try somehow to regain financial control. So it was the choice between the terrible and the bad. The government decided for a bad, which was in this situation only possible uh, solution, and it was able to step by step regain, regain financial control, it was able step by step to regain the confidence, uh, interest rates started to go down, exchange rates once again stabilized, hard currencies have started to grow, etc., but all of this was paid by a very, very serious crisis in the budgetary field, by a very serious decrease of the average wa wages of the cheap teachers, doctors, uh, cultural workers, etc., etc. So they practically had to bear the burden of Chechenian adventure. the financial reforms, the financial tightening, which uh, allowed the government once again to cut the inflation rates and uh, to stabilize the exchange rate, etc., uh, allowed to start decreasing of the poverty rate, it was evident that we are moving too slowly, that the government unable to implement reforms in a few crucial fields is confronted with once and once with stronger and stronger contradictions. For instance, you are unable to pay the military, you are unwilling for the serious military reforms, 
Practically, your financing of the army is few times lower than it was in the Soviet Union times. You have to deal with the army, which is, by the quantity, comparable to this in Soviet times. You, you were unable to close one single military academy. You practically were unable to close once to uh, liquidate one single division. And uh, you have se approximately seven times less money than you had in Soviet time. What will be the result? The result would be the money, the army in which officers are not get getting paid for a free month. The army in which you do not have the necessary resources for the training of the pilots, etc. The, the army which is terribly dissatisfied with it. It's all. And that is the result of the lack of ability to implement the reforms which were evidently necessary three or four years ago. And the similar situation in a few other crucial, most important fields. Well, uh, all of this created a very, very unpleasant politi uh, economical and political background for a crucial battle of the next presidential elections of year 96. In December 95 parliamentary elections, communists win overwhelming victory. It was evident that they are by far the strongest political organization and political force in the country. To tell you the truth, in January, February 96, I, as many of my friends and colleagues in Russia, were practically persuaded that it is impossible to prevent the communist victory on the presidential elections. We just, we just could not understand how it could be done. What was necessary, what was necessary really, what the necessary thing to do was to create once again the coalition of the Democrats, those who would like the more efficient market, more socially just society, society with the equal rules of the game, less corrupt society, etc., etc., and know very well what to do to achieve all these goals, and uh, the party of power, those who are generally satisfied with uh, the capitalism as it emerging in Russia, capitalism which is not very beautiful, capitalism which is uh, very much corrupt, capitalism in which uh, property and the power are not divided, but both of these groups, which uh, have not a lot together, are not interested in a second communist experiment in the country, on the different gr grounds, but both not interested. So the only way to stop this uh, communist victory was to somehow bring these two fractions of the Russian society, which are opposing the communism together, and to create this broad coalition. It was evident that probably it is possible to create this broad coalition only around Yeltsin, but it was terribly difficult to understand how it's possible to create this coalition around Yeltsin with all of his previous background. In January 96, the terrible events in Budyonovsk, about which I even would not like to speak, uh, which showed that Yeltsin is not in the control of the situation to the smallest degree, uh, were the demonstration that probably any hopes connected with the creation of this coalition are fruitless. Well, uh, I think that uh, probably this feeling that the communist victory is inevitable played a very, very bad joke on the communists themselves. 
they became a little bit too frank, too open, too understandable for the society. I do remember very well uh, the interview in Izvestia of the leading uh, uh, legal uh, expert of the communist fraction, Mr. Ivanov, uh, where he was explaining how the communists, when they will win the presidential elections, will address the problems of the private property. Well, he was telling how they will confiscate the private property. When, when he was asked, well, but, but the law, what law will change the laws? But the Constitution, who cares about Constitution? But the Constitutional Court, we will dissolve the Constitutional Court. Uh, we, will, we will create Troikas, and the Troikas will decide from whom to take and to whom to give. Uh, that was the time uh, when the communist leader were traveling through the regions, and everybody was expecting them as a new masters which will come again. And they will be asked, they will be meeting with a business leader, and they will be asked, well, what will you do with the private property? And they will tell, well, we will decide whether it is a good private firm, then we will leave the private property in its hands. If it is a bad private firm, then we will take property and give it to the good private firm. Then the next question, and how could we regard, we be regarded as a good private firm? What should we do? <laughs> uh, well, uh, with all of this, after the December victory of the communists, the quite important part of the population, which was terribly dissatisfied with Yeltsin, Chechenian war, last two years of, of policy, etc., lack of the reforms, started to understand, well, 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 we are very much dissatisfied, all of this is terrible, all of this is very bad, but do we seriously want this to come back? So, that was really the basis for Yeltsin campaign. Of course, Yeltsin uh, had a splendid campaign from February to June 1996. Uh, once again, he have proven that in this type of the crucial crisis situation, he could change himself entirely. He could change the image, public perception, etc. I know. Uh, Tens and hundreds of people who told me I was the strong defender of Yeltsin until the very last, that never will they vote once again for Yeltsin. No price, no, nothing could pursue them. And that was the people which uh, in May, June, 96, decided that of course they will vote for Yeltsin regardless of, the, of what they think about his previous policies. Uh, What was the crucial thing, I think, was uh, connected with the fact that the society really understood that it is serious. Well, parliamentary elections is a splendid place, especially in, under the Russian Constitution, to express the dissatisfaction with the power, the present power, the government, etc. You can show in the parliamentary elections how bad they are, how dissatisfied you are with uh, their policies, etc. But presidential selections are about real, are about life, life of your children, your family, etc. And uh, the society had a feeling of serious danger. Well, uh, when I, I'm all the time I'm thinking, well, the post-communist parties triumphed, won practically everywhere in Eastern Europe. 
Economic reforms in Russia were inconsistent, uh, not implemented in time. Uh, because of this very socially destructive and painful. They had no Chechenian war. We had this Chechenian war. Why exactly in Russia the communists were unable to win? And the answer from my point of view is only one. They were unable to win because they are communists and they were regarded as a communist by the society. Really, the Polish society, Lithuanian society, Hungarian society had a very clear understanding that all of these post-communist parties are not the communists anymore. Well, they could uh, use uh, the same slogans, some of the same slogans, but they accepted the reality of the democracy, free elections, private property markets, etc. In our case, it was evident that they had not done it that they really could try to turn it back. And the society, after all of these difficult years, really would not like to go back. And probably that was the most serious results, result of the Russian economic reforms. With all of its uh, problems, with all of its uh, incompleteness, with all of this pain, all the same society, when asked, definitely decided we would not like to turn back. Uh, from my point of view, uh, history, serious history of the communism in Russia was finished on the 3rd of July, 96. Of course, the Communist Party will stay as a strong political force. Uh, they will participate in their regional and the parliamentary elections. They will try to change the image. They are doing it now. They will try to persuade the people that they are not dangerous, that they are harmless, etc. But as a Communist Party, I think that they do not have a future uh, in the Russian serious political life, as in the presidential elections. That is connected with the specificity of the communist electorate. It's very old. They were unable to pursue the young strata that uh, they should vote for the communists. It's rural and the old electorate. And as you do understand, this electorate is not increasing, could not be increasing. Uh, so. They had all of the trump cards this time. They had not won. I'm absolutely sure that they will not won again. Of course, after presidential elections, uh, we will confront it with additional unpleasant and difficult problem. The problems connected with the health of the president. He was seriously ill between the first and the second round of presidential elections. Of course, it, he was uh, leading a terribly exhausting election campaign. And of course, he's not young. He was he's 65. Uh, so uh, he felt ill. And uh, the reaction of this illness was a few months of political instability and unpredictability, which of course were not very helpful for the developments in our country. Practically, uh, the government uh, during these few months was paralyzed. It just wouldn't decide what to do. Nobody could tell you, well, will, will, we have, will we have presidential elections in a free month or in a four years? Different strategy, different priorities. And in this situation, it is the easiest solution is to do nothing. And that was exactly what the government was doing the, between June and October. It was trying to do nothing. 
let us not be in a hurry, let us slow down, let us wait and see, etc. Let us not make the mistakes, etc. The problem was that we, are, we were not in the type of the situation which allows to the government to uh, adopt this attitude. Because uh, the previous serious political clashes, of course, seriously destabilized the economic situation. Well, at January 96, once again, we rebuilt the hard currency reserves. In July, hard currency reserves were seriously down during presidential elections because of the panic before the elections. Uh, in January 96, uh, Yeltsin fired Chubais, of course, on the political reasons, because he was unpopular. And Chubais was exactly the person in the government who made the enterprises afraid and made them uh, pay taxes. Uh, it was probably one of the most expensive uh, Change in the, changes in the government in history. Uh, the re governmental revenues were down five percentage points uh, in the first quarter '96 in comparison with the fourth quarter '95. Government had to borrow on a very, very high, prohibitively high interest rate before the elections, and the markets were very uneasy in uh, providing financial resources even for this interest rate. So after elections, it was necessary to, to radically improve tax collections, to show to the enterprises that the time when you can uh, avoid paying taxes and not to be punished is over, to cut down the interest rate, etc. And the government was very, very slow to address all of these issues between July and October. Well, now the situation uh, is rapidly changing. The government is out of this coma. Uh, showing that it is willing to do some things. Of course, the enterprises reacted immediately. Well, you just have to, sh to tell us, well, that you're serious. Well, we'll stay, start paying taxes. So the, the situation is improving. The interest rate is going down. Of course, it's evident that the general perception of the perspectives of the Russian economy in the world is rapidly changing. Uh, well, between presidential elections and uh, the November, the market still hesitated whether the Russia is relatively safe. Uh, I was uh, last week in New York. I had discussions with many investors. It's evident for me that the situation is rapidly changing. Well, this is one single example of this. Uh, last Friday, first time in uh, 90 years, a uh, Russian firm was quoted in a New York Stock Exchange. Uh, it was Wimplecom. Uh, at the beginning, uh, the demand for the shares of the Wimplecom was uh, 11 times higher than the supply of the shares. Those who were the first subscribers got uh, 45 percentage po percent, uh, percents of the revenues of the profit per one day. Uh, it's evident that the demand for the Russian bonds will be quite high. The previous emission of the Gazprom shares is high. So it's evident that now the market star is, do start to believe that Russia, of course, is a young market economy, a market economy with a lot of the problems, but it is not terribly different from the point of view of the political reason Mexico or Brazil or Poland, etc. That, of course, creates the basis for hope. Of course, we still are in need in Russia of the very serious reforms in a few crucial fields of our social life. I will name just a few. 
probably the most urgent is the reform of the system of the social support. It is terribly poorly structured and poorly targeted. We are spending a lot of money on it. And we do have a lot of different kinds of subsidies. Of these subsidies, only one subsidy on which we are spending approximately one percentage points of all of the social expenditures is means tested. So we are spending 80% of our social support money on the support of the families who are not poor. We, are, we do have a serious problems with the poverty in Russia. It's really serious. But only 20% of the social support money comes to the families which are poor. So that means that we do have a terribly expensive system and terribly inefficient one. Well, uh, it's evident what should be done. We have to concentrate the subsidies to make to consolidate them, to make them means-tested, to address them, first of all, to the poor, etc. Nobody really was prepared to disagree with what I am saying now openly. Everybody will genuinely agree with this. The problem is that whenever you touch the concrete elements of this system, you cannot touch this, you cannot touch this, you cannot touch this, you cannot touch this, etc., etc. So you are back again. Well, you in America are very well aware of the similar problems. You have the similar one. The, the difference is that you are a rich country, you can afford to have these problems. We are a poor country, we cannot afford it. Uh, the tax system, the similar situation. Uh, terrible amount of the loopholes in a tax system. Uh, which means high tax rates for those who are loyal taxpayers, zero legal tax rates for everybody who, uh, who, would, who is willing to avoid taxation. So that means that you are pushing your economy to the black market, you are pushing them to the gray zone, uh, you are creating a strong stimuli for uh, disobedience of the law. We are having the lowest level of tax on the wages, including social security in Russia now, is 49%. It's the lowest tax rate on wages. The usual tax rates on another revenues, non-wage revenues, is zero. So if you are paying, for instance, to the employees of the bank in non-wage form, which is easy, you're paying zero. If you are paying the wages, paying 49%, what is the result of this situation? It's evident in a five-year period of time, the wages and the GDP would be zero. You are pushing all of the economy from the wages. It's evident what should be done. Elimination of the tax exemptions, unifications of the tax rate, uh, cutting down of the tax rate, unifications of the taxes on the wages and the different kinds of incomes. Simple. Nobody disagree with these statements, but somehow nobody is serious enough to push it through. And I can mention many, many other uh, fields like the system of the relationship between federal budget and the local budgets, uh, budget control, military reform, land reform, etc., etc. Et so all of this is necessary. 
Generally, it is known to the government. It is in the governmental program. It is necessary to make our capitalism, our market economy, more just, more socially stable. So, to make it more dynamic, to create the preconditions for the sustainable economic growth, which is necessary for Russia after all of these years of the communist experiment. It's also evident that these type of the solutions are not easy solutions. When you are trying to deal with them on the face-to-face -face basis, you are getting nowhere. Government many times tried to introduce to Duma uh, the reforms, uh, the goal of which was elimination of the some very inefficient subsidies. All the time it finished with few additional inefficient subsidies added by Duma. Uh, the only way, from my point of view, political way to do it, is to create, to put all of this in a comprehensive package, to make these reforms the center of the second Yeltsin's presidency, to confront the Duma with the choice, either they are prepared to support this package, or they will have to go to the early elections, and are terribly afraid to go to the early elections. So to make it in a very, very forceful political way. Uh, it is difficult. It is difficult for me to imagine how the present government, which is very much divided, coalition government, could do it. But also to tell you the truth, why, which creates for me the basis for hope, I just, knowing very well the budgetary perspectives of our country for 97, 98, 99, I cannot see how we couldn't avoid it. Once again, I would uh, repeat, we are not rich enough to afford as an official uh, structures and the system as we are having now. So that means that somehow government would have to go in this direction. And of course, the situation in which the president do not have to seek re-election uh, can now concentrate all of his efforts in implementing these necessary reforms, reforms which will complete what was already was achieved in Russia, which will create the necessary foundation for the sustainable democratic development in our country, I think that creates the base for hope. Well, dear friends, uh, of course, the problems of the Russian development and uh, the uh, difficult tasks we have to resolve are practically an exhaustible topic. Uh, so I have to stop somewhere. Uh, probably I will do it now. Once again, I will tell you uh, that uh, it was a terribly difficult five year of the transition. We had to deal with the problems which had no simple solutions. It is not the case, well, you can ask a good advisor, this advisor or that advisor, who would explain you what you have to do, and then everything will be okay. Uh, there are no easy solutions to the major part of the Russian problems. Somehow, more efficiently or less efficiently, we were able, until now, to resolve these problems. Hope very much that that will be the foundation for a long-term market and democratic development of our country. Thank you.
Uh, Dr. Dr. Gaidar would be happy to take a few questions. Yes. Uh, I have a question about the year 1994. Uh, did I understand you correctly that, putting it this way, in your view, were it not for the unwise economic policies followed during that year, you would not have had Black Tuesday and the economic crash that period, and that it would have been much less likely that Yeltsin would have taken the decision to invade Chechnya because the decision was taken out of the sense of a need for a small victorious war to boost popularity. Are you making that connection explicitly? Yes, I'm absolutely sure of this, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Position, no influence. the Comic-Con market could not be reestablished in the form in which it existed, because it was strongly connected with the socialist economy, and uh, the, these structures just could, uh, were unsustainable under the market economy. Of course, uh, there are still the poss possibilities, and very serious possibilities, for expanding trade between Russia and East European countries. And I am happy to see that the decline of this trade stopped, and we started uh, once again the increase, because uh, still uh, we have a lot of the uh, well-established ties with the, the industries in this region. I hope it will be continued approximately on this, these lines. So without some drastic declarations, without the creation of the trade block, etc., just with the stabilization of the finances, increase of the uh, export finance, etc. Uh, the second question was, would you remind me? In my native well, uh, uh, all the time I was uh, uh, in Russia trying to explain to Russian public that NATO exp expansion is not dangerous to our country. And I really do not think that the NATO expansion is dangerous to Russia. Because uh, you have to be crazy to imagine the organization uh, which consists of Denmark, uh, pa uh, Portugal, Norway, etc., which is by consensus uh, making the decision to start the big war uh, with Russia. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, it was not the easiest job I have done in my life, trying to explain it. And to tell you the truth, I was not very successful in doing it. So, uh, taking, well, let us agree that the expansion of NATO is not uh, the uh, treat to the Russian national interest, which is true. Uh, 
Let us also forget that the NATO expansion, of course, will create very difficult internal political problems for us because uh, it is the it is the best uh, help you can give to our radical nationalists. You can do not not do better, but let's forget forget about it. Let's forget about it. Uh, from my point of view, the problem of NATO expansion is connected with the fact that in all of the countries, the NATO expansion was first of all discussed from the point of view of internal politics. It was internal politics in Russia. It was internal politics in the United States in presidential elections because of minorities. It was election. It was internal policy problem in Eastern Europe because, well, do you seriously think that the Czechs now are afraid of Russia? And the membership in the club, well, that is the crucial. Uh, it is the internal policy problem in uh, Western Europe. So you cannot, for instance, be politician in Czech Republic and be against the NATO enlargement. Well, it is the matter of the political realities. But let us genuinely forget about all of these internal political problems. Let us think about the matter from the point of view of security and long-term strategy. What was the NATO? NATO was the organization created to protect Western Europe against the Soviet threat. It was a very serious task, and you have to invest in it a lot of efforts and the money. Myself and uh, Alexander Yakovlev, who is present here and who was the Politburo member, would tell you that the threat was very serious. Well, uh, all of the NATO military structures, military planning, nuclear planning, was done for this reason, for the, for the war against Soviet Union, now Russia. Everybody in Russia knows it, including general staff, etc. So, if you are enlarging NATO without changes in NATO, then what is the more or less inevitable response in Russia? The splendid response for our military-industrial complex. They are now trying to show that they are terribly afraid of NATO. They would be the best news for them. Well, you're enlarging NATO. That means that we have, to once again, to start uh, building our military structure, preparing ourselves to war against nuclear war against NATO. Splendid. Previously, at least, we were serious. We thought that you could start the war. You thought that we could start the war. It was the serious thing. Now, well, you would not try to persuade me that anybody is serious that Russia would now start the conquering Europe. We do not believe for a minute that uh, uh, NATO is uh, really preparing for the war against Russia. But somehow, we are just going in the directions to start once again the uh, developments of the Cold War. Well, it is usual. Every time, the generals are preparing themselves to the previous war. Previous war was a Cold War, so now they are trying to prepare once again for the Cold War. So from my point of view, if we are forgetting about internal politics, then of course the problem of NATO enlargement could not be seriously resolved or discussed without the very, very serious changes in the relationship between NATO and Russia. Only if we do have a very evident goal of the creation of the long-term military political alliance between Russia and NATO, I can understand what we are doing from the point of problems of the long-term security. Yes? I'm wondering if you can speculate what Russia might 
I really would not like to speculate. Uh, it's not my favorite job. Uh, in a 10 year uh, period of time, you can discuss the, uh, the uh, Russian uh, future only on the scenario-based approach. Uh, there was a book published in the United States uh, where the four scenarios of, for Russian development were generally outlined. Uh, I don't remember really the title, uh, but it was a good book. And in this book, there was one scenario called uh, Russian Miracle. Uh, I discussed uh, the situation with the author now, and he thinks that probably we are closest to this scenario. I think that it is a possibility. Of course, nothing is granted to us. But I think that the possibility that uh, in a 10-year period of time, Russia will be still young, still not very um, rich, but rapidly expanding market economy uh, with the growing living standards, with uh, much more stable social institutions, with lesser level of, level of crime, with uh, lo lower level of quality, is absolutely in the framework of possibilities. Of course, it is not granted. The second, from my point of view, dangerous possibility, which do exist, is not the communist, but the radical nationalist experiment in Russia. If the present government would be especially and efficient in addressing our most pressing social problems, if it will be unable to create the preconditions for economic growth, of course, those who are now playing the card of the Zionist American plot against Mother Russia would have all of the possibilities to use the, uh, these rhetorics to build additional support, to try to judge Russia in an absolutely fruitless and a hopeless attempt to rebuild the empire, which will be dangerous for everybody and for Russia first of all. That's from my point of view most serious danger which, with which our country still is confronted. Yes. Uh, I was, yes. The attack on the parliament in October science, uh, the best way to do it is to try to test this uh, thesis on practice. Uh, 
we have seen uh, approximately 25 post-socialist countries trying to address the problems of the transitions. At least few of the government of these countries tried to uh, use exactly these politics. Ukraine was probably the best possible example. Now the situation of the Ukraine shows that this was not the solution. Uh, disruption of the industrial structure in the Ukraine in the last result of all of this transition was higher than in Russia. To understand what happened with the industrial structure, first of all, you have to address one single most important question. What was this industrial structure? What were we producing? And uh, if you would ask yourself this question, and you have uh, even the very, very minimal knowledge of the Russian economy, you would have to answer. It was, first of all, military production. Military production was not the part of the Russian economy. It was the essence of the Russian economy. All the rest was supplying military economy with some additional resources, or feeding the people employed in military industrial complex. Really, our uh, military strategy, uh, military doctrine, was uh, elaborated from the standpoint that Soviet Union had to be prepared to fight simultaneously the war against the United States, Western Europe, China and Japan. And uh, we were trying to overproduce all of these countries by the amount of the conventional weapons. As you do understand, you can use all of the resources of any rich country in this process. So, uh, but the problem is that you have somehow to finance it. We were financing all of this military consumption, but first of all, from the oil revenues, previously from the agricultural sector, and then the later decades from the oil revenues. When the oil revenues were gone, you just could not sustain this production. You could not find markets for them, you could not find what to, uh, um, the resources to buy uh, materials for these industries, etc. That was the essential problem which could not be resolved with any fluctuations in economic policy. Yeltsin government could do is to try to be popular. We are not exactly not in the situation in which the government can afford to be popular. 
I try, well, uh, now we have a new Minister of Finance, Mr. Lifshitz, uh, who is a very good economist and uh, to whom I have a high regards. But he has one mistake. I try to explain to him that it's a mistake, that either you are Minister of Finance or you are popular. You cannot be both. Uh, so when you are confronted with the problems which, with which uh, the, uh, our government and our country is confronted, either you are prepared to be very, very uh, serious in implementing the reforms for which you will not be immediately priced. You will be priced in a five-year perspective, maybe in a three-year perspective, but not immediately. Or you are trying to be popular, and then usually you would do the things that could be terribly counterproductive on, and for, for which usually the population will have all of the possibility to blame you, but in a two or three year perspective. <laughs> yes. uh, to what extent does the uh, uh, organized crime in Russia uh, drain the financial resources of the government? Financial, uh, organized crime in the government and outside of the government. And to what extent does organized crime represent a danger to democracy? Finally, if it's in the government, how can the government fight it? Well, organized crime is a serious problem in Russia. Uh, it is a serious danger to the Russian democracy. I'm absolutely sure that the problems of the organized crime could be addressed only by implementing of the, serious, uh, of the liberal reforms, the essence of which are equal rules of the game, state which is controlled by the society, elimination of the possibilities of the state employee to decide with discretions of to whom to give money and to whom not to give money, simplification of the uh, tax system, etc., etc. Of course, the organized crime is not as great problem in Russia as it is being usually pictured in American TV. As a mafia in the United States is a serious problem, but probably not as serious as if you are looking only at the TV and not confronting with the real life. Yes. When you think uh, that the Russia would possibly present a credible threat for all these states? A, a, cre a credible what? Threat. Ah, threat. Well, to tell you the truth, uh, uh, you can answer this question only on scenario-based approach. If uh, uh, Russia would be a, dem a democracy, if uh, the radical nationalists would not be in uh, power in Kremlin, then of course Russia never would be a treat to the Baltic states, as it is not a treat now. Uh, that's exactly why I think that everything that works for radical nationalists in Russia is a major treat to the Baltic states. And uh, uh, that includes the problems of the minorities in the Baltic states. Uh, the best way the Baltic states could assure their security, from my point of view, is by trying, first of all, to address the problems of the minorities in the ways usual in the European community. Uh, to tell you the truth, I do not have uh, see any other serious ways of securing the independence uh, of these countries. Because when I discuss the problem, when we discuss the problems of the possibility of the NATO enlargement to the Baltic states, 
with many of my friends from the West, or many of the Western politicians, I all the time try to uh, uh, find the answer on one single question. If radical nationalists would be sitting in Kremlin, who will send the first regiment to uh, defend Tallinn from them? And nobody was prepared to give me an answer. So from this point of view, I think that uh, the interest, the best interests of the Baltic states are absolutely uh, equal to the best interests of the Russian democracy. Yes. we have only one really strong and really efficient political party in Russia, and that is Communist Party. Uh, of course, we are trying to form the democratic parties, and uh, we do have some successes. As, uh, uh, but it's very, very difficult in the long-term problem. So uh, we will need time to build anything comparable um, by the efficiency as a political machine to, machinery to the Communist Party. But when I am speaking about the reforms, I don't think that the political parties will push there. I think that the life will push there. For instance, uh, without the reforms I mentioned, you cannot resolve the problems of the federal budget. So without the reforms I mentioned, you could not pay officers in time. So not paying officers in time is dangerous. And you do not need a political party to make you understand it. seriously economically integrated. Uh, the trade between Russia and the newly independent states is uh, increasing rapidly now. Um, economic growth in Russia and uh, economic stability in Russia, of course, uh, would inevitably make Russia a center of gravitation for these countries. It's evident that the Russian market is the easiest market, it's big market, uh, it's terribly important for the products, etc. So uh, I think that Inevitably, if the Russian economy will uh, be growing under the market condition, it is inevitably that the Russia will be the center of the economic consolidation in these regions. It doesn't mean that all of the previous republics of the Soviet Union would be in this integration. It doesn't mean that the borders of this uh, uh, integration unit would coexist with the Soviet Union borders, but it's inevitably that this process will go. Yes.
maybe I hadn't heard all of the questions, but I will try to answer if I win. Well, uh, first of all, of course, uh, you understood me absolutely correctly. Uh, the uh, transition to the market economy in Russia was not the result of implementation of some well-elaborated pl plan, but was the result of the intensive crisis of the socialist economy, which uh, uh, were unable anymore to uh, create the basis for the sustainable economic growth, and more than this, even for the uh, preservation of the existing levels of the consumption with the elimination of the very cheap and very efficient oil reserves. Well, uh, the situation now is quite different. Uh, Soviet uh, socialist experiment was a very, very serious deviation from uh, long-term tendencies of the developments of the mainstream market economies. Uh, this uh, development was uh, sustainable in the middle-term run, but proved to be unsustainable in the long run. What we are now in need is the attempt to reintegrate Russian economy in the mainstream strategies of the market economies. Well, nobody can give you the guarantees that in a 50-year period of time, Russian economy would not be confronted with a few new serious problems which could result in economic crisis, as much as nobody can guarantee you that the American economy would not be in a 50-year period of time in this situation. It is out of the possibility of the serious uh, scientific forecast. Yes. government uh, is adopting a very, very simple position. Uh, and that is, we are a poor country, we do not have resources to deal with the problem, we are dissatisfied, pay the money, and we will do it. Uh, well, uh, in Russia, of course, we are very serious about the safety of the nuclear reactors now after Chernobyl. And our Ministry of Atomic Energy is trying to uh, improve the quality of the control of the equipment, etc. Uh, we are, of course, we are not introducing new Chernobyl-type reactors. We are trying to increase, first of all, the safety of the existing reactors, etc. Practically, uh, we stopped the serious program of the additional development of the nuclear uh, energy st stations in Russia until we are sure about the security problems. Uh, well, that is approximately the fact. I think we have one last question back Of course, we do uh, have a very, very uh, good specialist and good technologies in uh, our space program. Uh, and it would be terribly pity to lose this technical potential. Also, you are quite right that uh, we do have a very, very serious uh, constraints uh, in uh, financing our space program. 
I think that the best possible solution uh, is market solution, that is opening of international uh, market for the uh, space uh, programs, uh, for uh, the Sputniks, etc., uh, to Russian competition, to probably the higher extent that it's being done now. We are making progress here, but it's rather slow progress. I think that if it will be done, it will be the best possible demonstrations that the world is serious about uh, open markets, and it's serious about the attempts to help Russia, especially in preserving its high-tech industries. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.